0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Stephen Sully Study and also the Woodbury House Channel. Um, I've got a big guest on today, Melville uh, Melvin o- Odoom. Correct. I had to pra- practice it a few times before uh, we <laughs> went live. Uh, thank you, brother, for coming on. No, thanks nice for having me, bro. Here. No. Um, so you're known for being a comedian. Yeah. You're known for being a tv personality and also a, a radio presenter that's right uh let me just jump straight into it because i know there's going to be a few things we're going to talk you're about You're not wasting time bro <laughs> <laughs> so i obviously want to talk about you know like how you know uh, you, you uh, growing up you know coming into you know theater and dance and all that kind of stuff and challenges and stuff mm-hmm. and then also what you're doing right now but what makes a good presenter whether it's radio whether it's tv you know what kind of skills and mindset do you need to have
1: um that's a great question um I'd say communication is key and it's going to sound mad cheesy, but you have to love what you do. I think if you don't love what you do, it kind of people know that you're faking him. One of the the people that I love in this industry is Dermot O'Leary. Yeah. He's the nicest guy you will ever meet. I don't know if you know him already. And he goes out of his way to just just such a warm person so when he was hosting Extra Factor years ago right imagine how hard that show is to present and me and Ricks just went to watch it in the crowd because I think we was on the spin off later that day right and he'd seen us through like work kind of previously before and he was doing the show it went to like a a break he noticed me and Ricks came up said hello said hello to the crowd <coughs> shook hands went down and continued presenting that guy for me is like the pinnacle when it comes to broadcasting because he's just so effortless he makes it look natural he seems calm he's a calm guy but bro the amount of preparation that goes into doing a show like that you have to know all the turns know where all the cameras are the script is intricate it changes constantly so for me it's about loving what you do because if you love what you do then you'll be focused and you'll work hard at it it's about Mm -hmm. being honest and being a great communicator which you're good at which i'm good at because if you can communicate to people then they'll want to hear your story and your
0: message definitely so um I, I didn't realise this as a kid, but um, I wasn't very good at school. It, not that in regards to I was bad, right. it's just that I, it, I wasn't compatible with it. You know, looking back, I just wasn't interested in the things I Why would was there. was Do you know what? I don't know. Maybe because I wasn't, I didn't take to things very well. I was deemed as not very clever at school, but one thing I was pretty good at is, you know, physical stuff, you know, like training, a um, box, you know, I, I played England. Uh, Played squash for England once, yeah. um, football, rugby, and anyway, when when I was there, I remember going into English class and they tried to make me recite something. I was, I think it was like a poem or Macbeth or something like that. Right. And when I tell you, I flopped massively. <laughs> I'm not even joking. It still haunts me today. Really? Because the teacher, not only did she make me do it, but she kept me there and kept me embarrassed for a long time. <laughs> now, in some ways, it served it, it served me because. When I grew, I grew older and I realized that I could have been in an office or I couldn't do um, certain things, I found sales. Mm-hmm. And the good thing about being a salesperson is the art of communication effectively. Mm-hmm. And I always said to myself, no matter what happens, I need to become effective at communicating and networking. Do you know what's mad about your story? is?
1: So, Macbeth is it's not an easy piece of text to remember, first of all. And I say to people, it's all about practice like one of my sayings is uh failure to prepare is preparation for failure right yeah with sales essentially you're learning information and text and regurgitating that information to the person to sell your product exactly right it's the same with if you're learning a play or you're learning a poem you still have to remember it you just didn't get enough time to learn it yeah with me i over prepare stuff yeah so if someone gives me a script and in the show's in two weeks time, I'm looking at it now yeah. because I want it in my head. I'm not like certain people can look at a script. I know people that can read a script and they know it straight away. And it's just unfortunate that that was your experience of text at the time. Because if you're a salesman, then potentially you're a performer.
0: Yeah, exactly. So what I was, what I was going to get to is like when, when I was uh, sort of forced to do it, I had an audience in front of me and obviously got stage fright. Mm-hmm wasn't very good at reading anyway, and I completely flopped. But like I said, it served me because later on in life, I said to myself, I need to be good, become good at this because if you look at any rich, successful, famous person, usually nine times out of ten, they're good at articulating things and talking to large crowds. Football managers or presidents or governments, they're, they're very good at doing it. So I knew I had to learn it at some point, and it's led me to podcasting. And what I was going to say to you is being a good presenter, whether it's TV or radio, It's almost like pivoting on the spot as well. So when things don't go so right, Mm -hmm. it's knowing knowing to be calm, methodical, and then finding ways to, you know, correct things without it looking like you're trying to cover up something. So do you ever get that in radio where things don't go so right? We
1: say, me and Ricky and Charlie always say, it doesn't have to be right. It just has to be funny. All right. So like in, in our line of work, things go wrong. All the time. That is live radio. That's live TV. That's live broadcasting. It's not the mistake that the audience care about. It's how you deal with the mistake. Yeah. So if I say something wrong, it's usually someone else in the studio, Ricky or Charlie, will jump in and be like Melvin da da da, (laughs) and take the mickey. The audience don't go, oh, that was terrible. They're like, oh, they're having a bit of banter with Melvin. And that's the beauty of beauty of of comedy for me. Yeah. You can do that, and you can move things around. And the audience is. I always think about the audience first. So if I do something and it doesn't go the way I've wanted it to go, I just go, well, how can I still do this so the audience still appreciate it? If you always have the audience in mind, then everything will go fine.
0: I think that's like a bit of a life for definitely business as well, because if you think as a salesperson or a business owner or, or as an entrepreneur, if you can put your customer, client or investor at the forefront of stuff and give yeah. them value, I think that's the number one thing. And it's same for radio, I guess. Yeah, Yeah,
1: for us we would be nothing without our listeners, like absolutely nothing. And for me, my favourite parts of the show is when we have a caller on and they're sharing stories with us or they've got something interesting to say. That is what makes the show. And then the dynamic between me, Ricky and Charlie. I don't think, I'm very proud of our show. I don't think there's anyone in the UK, I would say even the world, that has the dynamic that me, Ricky and Charlie do. We're like a family yeah, on air and we're sharing <clears throat> our stories. The other day I did... Uh, a feature where I I read out a letter from an ex live for um, Lollophon, which is part of Comic Relief. Now that was for charity, but I was so nervous doing that letter. I didn't know what was coming that I was literally sweating. That's a part of like me. That's, you know, a real life experience with a real life person. Yeah. And there's not a lot of people who will give those parts of themselves up. So that's, I think, the beauty of what we do.
0: I was going to say as well, from like my perspective, and I'm not on radio, but a podcast is almost like my little radio station almost mm-hmm. and I'm getting cool guests on and stuff. And when I started it almost three years ago, I never realized how many people I would be introduced to. Like obviously I've listened to you, I've seen you on TV, and it's it's mad that because of podcasting, because of things like this, being creative, you get to connect with more people. Would you say that's similar to yourself, like doing radio, doing TV, doing you know, comedy? It's it's opened up your network and you've gone into many different things, many you, you've dovetailed into many opportunities. Yeah. I
1: I mean, I love people. So any opportunity that I have to interact with a person, whether it's through radio, whether it's through TV podcast, even going to my gym or just going to a club, DJing, whatever. I love people. That's probably why I enjoy traveling because yeah. it means you just open up yourself to a brand new kind of like set a selection of people. Um, but I think podcasts is, that's the future, man. Like, podcasts are as important as as radio yeah as tv because there's something quite intimate about podcasts it's like someone listening in on a conversation Mm -hmm. it's really really it's a different dynamic to anything else yeah which is why when you asked me i was like i have to get involved because I quite I always enjoy that conversation because I don't know what's going to come out of it yeah I don't know about your experiences I don't know the stories that you're going to tell me yeah and for me is if, if I'm learning the best way for me to learn is to have a conversation with someone Definitely. so for me this is just a conversation with you yeah do you know I mean and so I'm going to learn something else about you once I come out of it
0: so uh, a guy called Rob Moore has got um, a podcast called the Disruptive Entrepreneur mm-hmm. um he's got a few few oh he's probably got a lot more a th- uh, lot more than I previously thought I think at the time, a couple of years ago, like 2.5, 2.7 million uh, subscribers. Wow. He's doing really, really well. He's got a huge property company as well called Progressive Property. Anyway, he approached me one day when I was at one of his property seminars and we got talking and he said, what is it you do and everything else? And as I was walking away from him, we went, you know what, you'd be good at podcasting. I went, really? And he was like, yeah, listen, you... Part of me thought and still thinks, oh, maybe he was trying to like, kind of guide me into one of his courses. But then at the same time, thought, well, what happens if he's right? Yeah. And um, I've got to say, I'm so thankful to, to, to him because, you know, without that bit of guidance, I might not have taken that step. So question What is wanted to ask you, did you know as a young kid that you wanted to go down a similar route to this? Right. Or did you have other plans in mind? Um, honestly,
1: I wanted to be a singer and dancer that realized I can't sing. So presenting became like the next best thing. So I, I wasn't serious about presenting until I got to uni, I would say. All I knew was I liked performing and I liked making people smile and I, I liked making people happy. So as a kid, right? So imagine I'm from like this big family from West Africa, <clears throat> West Africa Ghana. Um, and I remember being at like a family party, like all my cousins are upstairs playing computer games. And I just started doing impressions of like, I don't know, Chris Eubank and all sorts telling jokes.
0: Can I hear In a Chris the... Eubank one?
1: It probably sounds like <laughs> it, it's, it's, it something like that. It was that kind of vibe. But... <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty bang on. Well, that's how I used to do it. And I was just like, no, I can't remember what I used to say. But I remember my cousins just like laughing their head off and stuff like that. And I was, I was like, I like that feeling. So when I got to uni, I, I met Ricky. And he went to Brit school and he was doing like everything in radio. He knew how to use the desk. He knew how to edit all this stuff. And so I did like a minor in radio. And then we started doing like Luton FM, which is like their local RSL, like radio station. And that's when I was like, actually, this radio stuff's pretty cool. And then while all that was going on, I was working in retail. um, And I used to turn on and listen to Trevor Nelson.
0: Oh, he was a wicked. He's like... Legend MTV, MTV, like, the lick. the tunes. Yeah, he
1: used to do rhythm nation on the weekends on Radio One, and I just remember. Thinking, and he was very
0: smooth. Had that very like radio voice, you know, like like very soothing Proper and cool, very
1: articulate. cool. And the thing that I loved about Trevor was he had like mad passion for the music. Like he knew every artist, and he knew all these cool stories. And um, he always played like the newest music. And I thought oh, I could do that. I think I could do that. And I used to also watch Richard Blackwood on MTV. What, another cool dude. Amazing dude. Yeah, and And, funny.
0: Funny! And a good rapper.
1: And I used to go (laughs) and watch him at, um, do you remember Hackney Empire? No, I don't, know. It's round near the uh, boxing place where you'll know in Bethnal Green. Right. Right. So round the corner from there is this place called Hackney Empire, and it's renowned for, like, black comedians. (sighs) So I remember going to see Richard Blackwood and Genia Asheray at this place. And just thinking like, these guys are smashing it. So I used to really enjoy uh, Trevor and Richard. I used to think, I'm sure I can do that. If I work hard, I can do that. So went to uni, did a degree, came out, didn't get a job in, in media. And um, I started working with kids. I started okay. teaching drama and dance in East London. So I worked at Tower Hamlets College, then worked for a youth center called the Froud Center. And we did like a summer school and stuff like that. And then Ricky helped to get me a job at One Extra part-time like as a broadcast assistant
0: so i know like you're currently at radio one yeah you've been on uh, kiss 100 mm-hmm. you've been like like you like we said off air uh strictly come dancing yeah there's been i mean there's a few things that you've been involved with and for, you know even like looking at your social profile um got over a hundred thousand followers obviously that must benefit you in, in in some 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 respects um you know you're you, you've got you was just on The Circle recently as well, yeah, right? Yeah. Which I've got to say, I haven't actually watched it, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> yeah. But so many people, when I've said that you're going to come onto the podcast, they said, oh, he's brilliant in The Circle oh, recently. Thank and you, it, it was only positive. So from an outsider, people say, oh, well, look, he's, he's, his life seems to be so easy. You know, it's it's gone from this to that because you make it look so easy. Right. But really and truly, there must have been challenges over your professional life. Can you talk about any of those? Bro, I'm still working
1: now. Like... I aspire, you got to remember in our line of work and your line of work, we've met some successful people. You know what success looks like, right? Mm-hmm. So when you meet someone like Will Smith or Denzel Washington or Rihanna or G- like we met Jay Z, that's success. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. These guys are uber successful. U- like they've made history. Yeah. basically. They can't walk down Oxford Street and people not know them. I can walk down Oxford Street all day long. Yeah. And no one will, some people might recognize me, but people aren't going crazy. And until there's certain things in place, until I know I could like pay for a house for my little sister yeah, and then, and then her mm. kids, and then my grandkids, <laughs> then I know I'm not successful yet. I'm in a really good place. yeah, And I've done a lot of great things, but I'm still nowhere near what I see as success. Okay, Uh, I'm still working, man. What do you mean? There's so many people that I look up to, even in the UK. And and look at them. Yeah, what do you mean? They're literally doing the biggest shows every single year. They've got their own production company. It's their name behind it. That's success. You mean? But I'm I'm really happy with. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. But there's still loads of work for me to be done.
0: Was there any points in your career where you thought like this is going good, and then something happens like to you or your career, or even in your sector, which made you think? Shit, this is this 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 is this is quite scary. I don't know what I don't know what's going on because reason why I say it is when I get entrepreneurs on, yeah, you know, and they built um for example, right, I, I interviewed a guy called I'm actually meant to be interviewing his son tomorrow, Alfie Best. I don't know Alfie if you know. Alfie Best him. that one as well. So Alfie Best is uh is 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 a traveller. Um he was born this is his words, born on the side of the road, and now he's amassed uh, a £500 million uh, pound empire in um Mo- Mo- mobile homes which is uh his, his company's called wildcrest park homes i think it's called okay and anyway so i said like from the time you're born to where you are right now and you've got helicopters you've got Bugattis, you've got homes around the world i mean that just looks like a huge success but was it always that easy and he came out with all these stories and i like to hear those stories because yeah. it's all good talking about the great stuff but you really learn from the setbacks so i want to ask you as a tv presenter mm. someone's currently on radio what kind of challenges have you gone through, even mentally, where you thought, you know what, this is getting tough?
1: Okay, well, there's always, there's always challenges. I would say the scariest point for me was um, when I finished university. Okay, And so I'd imagine you spent three years at uni, like I come from like single parent background. So my mum raised me and my sister alone. And my dad's always was always in the picture, but like she, my mum did all the work basically, right? So when it came to uni, it was when the grant disappeared. So I was like applying for loans. So when I finished, man was in debt. Yeah, there was pure student loan to be paid off, right? <coughs> so imagine you've come out, got this uh, degree in media, and all I want to be is a presenter. You go to like radio stations, you go in this place, whatever. No one knows who you are because if you can't get work without experience, you can't get experience without the work. I know. So then what catch twenty two paradox. Horrible, right? So I remember thinking to myself, and I used to like argue with my mom. I used to be like, she used to be like, go and get a proper job in a bank somewhere, something like that. <laughs> what are you going to do with this degree? So I used to be like, Mum, look, all I want to do is be a presenter. This is my only vision type thing. And this I is used your to, calling, basically. My calling. I used to be upset, and me and Rick's used to put together show reels, and we would record stuff and would hand it to people. Even when we were in radio, and no one really was that interested and between you and me i nearly gave up i n- nearly was just like i don't think this is going to happen like no one knows who we are it's probably like we you know we've got no contacts there's loads of other people trying to be present like this was a time when everyone wanted to be a presenter literally everyone right so i just thought let's give this up and um a few things happened um we we won this competition and got signed to an agency called something else. Okay, and we had this a, a guy called Grant <clears throat> who signed us uh, to his agency. He's still our agent now, right? And um, Grant introduced us to a boss at Kiss, Andy Roberts, and he interviewed us. and He was like, "I'm going to put you on Weekend Breakfast at Kiss," and that changed everything. Literally. We started on Weekend Breakfast. We started like covering for people, started depping. Then we moved to the normal breakfast show. We met Charlie. That show just blew up. Like people just really engaged with it in a mad way. Ricky went off, started working for MTV. He was doing new, he was like the face of MTV News. I was doing stuff for Kids TV. Charlie was smashing it with a production. Everything just got bigger. And we, we got bigger together. I started doing stuff for. Uh, Extra Factor, like you said, Strictly, all these other things just started happening, but it didn't happen until that that moment. If we didn't go to Kiss, and I was, at that time, I never thought Kiss would sign like two young guys like me and Ricky to be on their their station. I just didn't see it. But as soon as we were there, we loved it. But if it wasn't for those, for that moment, I would have given up. Mm. I would have given up because, like you said, without experience, you, you can't get the work, but you can't get the work without the experience. So it's like, what do you do? And I was broke. I was still living at my mum's. I was um, working like bits with, with the young people in East London. Yeah. And trying to help my mum out like every now and then. I had an MG. I remember that blew up on the motorway when I was trying to get to work. All this madness, all these things, but they're all important because it makes me appreciate now. I remember that because we didn't come out of uni and start presenting straight away. Yeah. People think, oh, are you guys were just presenting on radio straight. no. We would grind, like Ricky literally worked for everyone for Choice, for Kiss, for Radio One. Um, he worked literally everywhere. Then he brought me in, and then I started doing stuff behind the scenes. It took ages. So, because of that hustle, you appreciate now. So, if sometimes it's busy, bruv, sometimes it's busy. Last year was the first year I have not DJed. Like, it's mad. We used to have certain weekends where we'd do a Friday, a mm. Saturday. And maybe a bank holiday Sunday, like that's how mad it was. Yeah. So for me to not DJ for a year is crazy. That's why I'm blessed to be doing radio. Radio has kept me going. Like it's kept me going like mentally and financially. It's crazy. Then my TV stuff, for some strange reason, has been even busier. The TV industry has really dealt with the pandemic really well. They're really careful in the way that they test in the way they social distance and stuff like that. And so that's been being able to still continue. But yeah, the the whole DJing thing, like and I DJing for me is also therapy. Like I enjoy it. Yeah. I enjoy that's the one thing where because with TV and radio, although you're still engaging and it's still a lot of fun, people can't you can't really connect with them. You can't see them. Yeah. When I go to a club with Rick's and we drop a tune and the crowd go mad. There's no better feeling. It's the closest thing for me to being an artist. Yeah, it's the closest thing. If I drop a tune and the whole place goes mad, New Year's when we we powerful. Oh, good. Yeah, it's a madness. <clears throat> so that's what I love. So for me not to not be able to do that, that's why I started trying to do those Instagram lives for a little bit because that was like my cl- the closest thing to me trying to, to DJ and yeah. please an audience, but. It nothing beats so I can't wait for the clubs to open again it's stuff like that which was it's it's hard it's hard
0: oh, on that on that note then about DJing where is some of the best places you've ever DJed like around the world it's going to sound
1: mad to, to you or probably cheesy but Gun. it's just places that have made me happy Ibiza we've played at before and that was a lot of fun I love it there Marbella I got,
0: I got ma- uh, married there last year did you? A, yeah a place called uh, Amanti oh is it? yes yeah, where's uh, that? It's, so I'm not very good with like articulating like the areas, but it's a restaurant. Mm-hmm. All I know is is it's apparently Messi's uh, favorite restaurant. In a, it's amazing. A manti means in Spanish lover. Okay, and easy. And it was it was incredible, man. If you ever go back to Ibiza, which you probably will, and manti it's absolutely sensational.
1: Do you know what the beauty of Ibiza is? Um, I thought it was a party island, just for partying. Me too. And I, I've i got a few friends there. Like I've got a friend who has an apartment there. And she was like, Melvin, there's so much more. Like you can go to like a yoga retreat. There's just amazing restaurants in the middle of nowhere. There's incredible hotels. There's places to shop. I didn't know that. I just didn't until I really started to look. very such a small place. Very
0: spiritual over there, yeah, you know.
1: It is a beautiful place. So yeah, I definitely say Ibiza. <clears throat> Marbella for me is we've just had amazing loss. times yeah. like really good times i didn't dj there but we hosted there um for the mtv emas was um berlin okay. germany i really loved that place um but yeah marbella and ibiza we you, you can't beat those spots man yeah and the uk bro like the uk we've had some great parties here
0: you got uh, anything lined, uh, lined up as as we sort of slowly but surely come out this uh, lockdown situation? Nothing
1: DJ-wise <laughs> confirmed yet, just because we just don't know what the rules are. Okay. Uh, I've got Bridge Bar, which you guys are welcome to yeah, come down to. Yeah, in Beckenham. In Beckenham. <laughs> yeah. Always a classic. block yeah. But I think we've got a few abroad, but we don't know what's happening in terms of visas, in terms of Brexit. Yeah. In terms of whether we, because if we've got a quarantine for like two weeks, it defeats the object because it means we can't do our radio show. Yeah. So I can't confirm anything just
0: yeah yeah fair enough so going back to like the duro mm-hmm. between you and Ricky um you mentioned earlier because I was going to kind of say it but you know Anton Deck and stuff <laughs> yeah you know um sometimes I think because it's like me and my business partner right I know myself and I know I couldn't run a business or be in, in business or try and develop a brand on my own I couldn't because I haven't got the personality for it I've got the Want to do it, but I haven't got all the skill set or even maybe the education in some respects to do it. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I've got someone like Joe there, we bounce off each other and we really—I believe we—we we play off each other you know, like pretty well. But then I know other people who are like entrepreneurs and they're like lone wolves. They go off and they just do shit themselves. Would you say like sometimes when you're presenting on your own, but or when you're uh, as a duo, which would you prefer?
1: do You know, what I always say is. um If I get to present with Ricky, it's always more fun. Okay. Because it's like I'm doing it with a mate and I'm sharing the load. And for me, it's almost, it's easier if I've got someone to bounce off. It's like a tennis match. Yeah. Like I don't, I find it so mad when I go to work and I see like my colleagues doing shows by themselves. I'm like, I I can't think of anything worse than doing a show alone. And so I'm so lucky to have like Ricky and Charlie to bounce off because that's what I enjoy doing um we're both capable of, of doing stuff alone like Ricky does a lot of sports stuff and he's done like loads of docs for BBC3 um and I used to do like loads for kids TV and yeah. I do I did Lego Masters for Channel 4 and I did that alone but it's just fun with Rick's so I don't know what it is yeah. he's, he's my brother Do you know yeah. I mean? so it was always a lot more fun
0: it's good stuff I wanted to ask you uh, this question I've asked a few pe- few people this I'm 35 years of age, and I believe on my homework, you're 40. Correct. Okay. July, yeah. your birthday? Correct. Okay. I can expect a <laughs> present. <laughs> Definitely, mate. Um, so I was going to ask you this. So I'm in a category of age where I'm obviously in life now, which is very much social media. But I also am old enough to, to, re- to know life when social media wasn't really a thing. It's a blessing and a curse, in my opinion. I think it's a blessing because you can connect with people. I think it's a blessing because you can develop a brand online. You can keep your overhead fairly low and scale up online. And there's so many different things you can do with it. The downside. We've definitely seen some downsides in corona, where um, I think there's been a lot more mental mental health issues. And I think sometimes that maybe younger demographic are looking at other people and thinking oh they've got this or they're that person or they're going to this place and they feel like they need to compare themselves to them. I've got my take on it but I wanted to see your take on it like mm-hmm. how has it helped you social media but can you see some of the downsides to it have you ever recognized some of the downsides to it as well?
1: That's a great question man you know what um, I was watching an interview of uh, Will.i.am a little while ago and he's talking about mobile technology and he said that as human beings we forget that our phones are a tool. You don't go to, you don't go to fix a car with a spanner and let that spanner rule your life. But there's so many people now, if they forget their phone or they break their phone, I broke my phone last year and I nearly, I've started crying because I thought I've lost pictures of my, my niece. I've lost pictures of like my family. I've lost all my notes from my show, like all these like ideas that I had because I've, it didn't back up properly. Yeah. And I was like, why have I allowed this device to rule how I, like my emotions and how I feel? And I think if you remember that as a tool, then you're good. Yeah. Because there are some beautiful things about social media. Like there was a story I read the other day of this delivery driver, right? He went to drop off a package and this little boy ran out, this little kid, and he had this beat up skateboard and he gave it to the postman. He said, give this to Steve, Steve Hawking. Okay, the skateboarder. It goes, say it's from me, and like the delivery driver was like, okay. Then the mum kind of ran out and winked, and she was like, just pretend, like you're taking it. So the, the delivery driver was like, well, I don't know Stephen Hawking. So, um, is it Stephen Hawk?
0: Stephen Hawk? Stephen Hawk. Stephen Hawk. Right. Yeah. So or uh, Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk. Tony, Tony, Hawk. Hawk. Tony, Hawk. Ste- Tony Hawk. Stephen, Stephen Hawkins is the uh, space guy. Yes. Right. Yeah. So Tony Hawk. Right. Yeah. So he's
1: like, um, I don't know him, but I'm gonna post this up on uh social media and see if he sees it he saw the video and sent the delivery driver and the kid a brand new skateboard sick so stuff yeah. like that if there was no social media it, it, w- it wouldn't happen yeah but on the flip i've done shows before and you get idiots like saying just horrible things to you for no reason i remember doing an interview and I'm i did a joke in this interview and it was I'm not going to say who they are in case they're watching this right now, but it was a a well-known girl group in the States. And I said something about one of their members or the (coughs) whole group and their fans came for me. No word of a lie till this day. I've blocked about 50 accounts because they were like, we hate you, Melvin. Who the hell are you? Like these crazy little fans. If they're watching this, I'm in so much (laughs) trouble. But yeah, it, it was just like an onslaught every single day I wake up and I had like, five new messages from people just hating. And that's like, I would say like me, Ricky and Charlie, we're quite, you know, we've got a really nice fan base of people that everyone's quite kind. So I worry about those people who just get, you know, those celebrities that just get hate all day. Look for no reason. I really feel for those guys. So yeah, like you said, it is a blessing and a curse.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've got a son who's only two and a bit years of age and uh, he's already learning that, you know, if he picks up my phone or his mum's phone, he wants to watch Paw Patrol or, you know, Peppa Pig or something like that. And even like when a message comes through and he's watching it, he knows how to flick it away. And I'm like, wow, he's, he's he's learning so quickly. And I'm, I'm, I've got to get to the point where I've got to start teaching him that if you're going to use it, it needs to serve you for whatever your mission is, whatever your mission is to get fit, to get healthy, uh, to learn something new, to develop a business. But again, it's very, very hard to keep them away where they can get pulled into something, and before you know it, you can slightly lose them for a little bit because yeah. they go down this rabbit hole of abuse or comparing yourself to people, and before they know it, they just – like you said, being dictated by the phone and by, by, by the internet. So it's something I'm I'm very mindful of. Um, he's not old enough just yet to really understand it all. But I like to ask people like you because you're in and around my age. You know, you're not yeah. too far away from my age, and I know you definitely knew life before the internet and also social media. It's
1: mad when you think about it. Like even now, if if you were to meet me somewhere and you couldn't get hold of me on the phone, you'd be like, "What's going on with his phone?" Yeah. But back in the day, if you's meeting someone, you just wait till they turn up. Exactly. And if they don't turn up, then you go to their house or you call their home number
0: or their landline. Yeah. Like
1: now we're just so spoiled that we don't realize what we've got. It's-
0: you, you, what you just said that you brought back some memories cause I used to go to Bromley to a place called uh, the Glades when I was a young kids, like a teenager going to meet a girl, right? I, I called her home phone. Her mum's answered. I was like, yeah, is she there? Speak to her. I said, right, meet me outside McDonald's in, in the Glade. Yeah. And I'll get there and I'll be there for like 10, 15 minutes. And then, listen, I'm thinking, is she going to turn up? Is she going to turn up? And then she turns up. And in a weird way, you kind of know that she's into you. She's turned up. It's true. Yeah. Because there was no mobile. There was no social media. You couldn't catch her or anything else. You had to go to a telephone box and call the house. And, and make see the, the effort her. to be there. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Yeah. yeah.
1: We sound so old, bro.
0: I know, I know. I feel, <laughs> I feel old. Um, so y- your own goals then. So obviously you're a very, very busy man. I know you've got to go to radio after this. What time you got to be there? So we've got to be there about seven o'clock. Okay, cool. All right, I won't, I won't keep you for too much. What time, time is it now? Quarter past six. Okay, cool. So um, your goals, mm-hmm. your aspirations, your vision for the future. Um, you're still a young man. So what What? what have you got, uh, you know, down down the line for like over the next five, 10, 15 years?
1: I would just say... And I always, it sounds really strange to say this, but more of the same, because I'm really happy. Like there's, for me, there's no bigger place than Radio 1 when it comes to broadcasting on radio. Like that's the pinnacle. People in the States tune into Radio 1. Yeah. um, And respect it. And I think as a broadcaster, it's just an amazing place to be. I'm in a building with absolute legends. People like Annie Mack, people like Nick Grimshaw, Greg James like these guys are sick broadcasters do you know yeah. what I mean? like and we're in the same building as these guys for me that's an honor um I'd love to create my own TV idea um something successful that has like a nice run and ideally something that could be syndicated in another country um, I don't know what that is I've got a few ideas that I've had floating around in life um so yeah if I came up with a concept or idea that became Big in another country. Do you know what I mean? If I could turn on Netflix and see my show that I created, that would be a amazing. very special, mo- special moment yeah, for you. Definitely.
0: Um, you mentioned about some people that you've met during your time being a presenter and being in, in, on TV or even on radio. Jay-Z being one of them, Rihanna. I mean, these are elite people in my in my eyes. Anyway, um, who is the one or a few people that you've ever met that you thought, you know what, that person's really motivated me. They've inspired me. They've educated me. They've they've really given me something where I need to push on with my life. Now is anyone that you've ever come across you thought that person is absolutely powerful? Apart from you, of course. Thank you.
1: Uh, it's got to be. I
0: I say this all the time. Will Smith. Yeah, Will Smith. Oh, he's a he is a legend,
1: bro. He. The thing about him, he goes out of his way to, to be a good person, to yeah. be a good interview. Um, there's a story where we interviewed him in the daytime and then he had his premiere. I think it was Hancock. And I was dating a girl in the office at the time, this, this tall brunette girl, like <clears> no <throat> one knew at the time. I walked down like the aisle for the cinema and sat at the front and I felt like I just felt amazing. Like, being at this premiere. And Will came down with the cast, Charlize Theron and everyone else. And he's, like, hyping up everyone. He's like, you guys ready to watch this film? He goes, you know what? Before I start the movie, I want to pick out someone from the crowd to introduce this movie, right? So he picks out this little kid. This little kid jumps up. He runs to the front. He introduces the film. Everyone's screaming. Everyone's clapping. He starts to walk out. As he walks out, he recognises me from the morning (laughs) interview. He walks up to me. Shakes my hand, walks out. Everyone's like, "How you know Will Smith?" I'm like, "Don't worry about that." Me <laughs> and Will like this, <laughs> so it's like little things like that just made yeah. me feel so warm. He remembers your name when he sees you. Sometimes, like I remember we did another junket and where all the um, presenters were in a separate room. He came into the room. He's like, he's like, "Hi guys, thank you so much for coming here today. I hope you enjoyed the movie." And he's like, "I think you saw Steve Judge." He's like Steve. I'll see you in a minute. Like he just kind of makes you feel welcome. Yeah. Um and I love that about him and I say, I always used to say to myself if I ever get to that position where I can make someone feel the way he made me feel, yeah, I'll do that. So if someone sees me in the street and they're like, "Melv, can I get a picture?" I'll try my best to even if I'm running late, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll be like, "I'm running late, but yeah. I'll t- I'll give them that picture because He made me feel so good i'm like that might make that person feel good that's what i learned from him
0: well is it it's almost that's the kind of the definition of being a a success it's not just about money it's not just about you know where you've traveled or what car you've got or what what you got on or the house you live in it really is about how you make other people feel people don't always remember what you said but they always remember how you made them feel and you know, I hope with the podcast that I put out, whoever I interview or any content I put out there, I want them to come away from it and go, you know what, I've, I felt like I've learned something there, or I really feel that, you know, I understand what he's talking about. That's my main purpose with the podcasting and to try and inspire the, young, the younger, younger demographic. Because going back to when I was at school, I didn't, I didn't enjoy maths, I didn't enjoy science, I didn't enjoy English. I just felt like it wasn't compatible to me. But had there been podcasts, I could have tuned into a podcast mm-hmm. Could have like listened to someone go, Wow, that person's really making me feel good. I I can really understand, like, kind of a direction I can go down. And that's kind of my goal with the podcasting. So I I guess meeting people like that is. You You were the
1: same as me, bro. Like, I hated maths. I had to do extra classes to to even pass my GCSE. Big up my teacher, Mrs. Jenkins. So, like, she would literally take me aside on like break time to do extra tuition because I was so bad. At maths. All I cared about really was drama. That's where I was like, I used to shine. I used to love drama, and I used to like just learning the lines and being in the theatre. That's where I, that was my sport. That was like your version of sport. Yeah, Do you know what I mean, so you know, I found it hard. And, and the weird thing is, there's so much you learn at school that doesn't help you in life. I always, used, if I was to open a school, I would have a course where you learn how to buy a house. Yeah, that was one of the hardest things for me. Yeah. I didn't know what stamp duty was. I didn't know what council tax was. I didn't know I needed a, a solicitor. All these things. When I bought a house, I was asking my mates who had properties. And I was asking like uncles and stuff, like random people, like my friends, just because I didn't know where to start. In the end, there's a, a guy who's my broker now, a guy <clears throat> called Mark. He basically taught me how to buy a house. Because yeah. I didn't know. That's what they should be teaching kids at school. They should be teaching them how to do their own taxes and buy a property. Definitely. That's what's going to help you. Definitely, definitely. Not Pythagoras theorem. That didn't help me. I never yeah. use that again.
0: Or, or 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 algebra or something. None like of that, that stuff. I've never used. If you it. want
1: to be a scientist or astronaut, then cool, I get it. Or a doctor, I get it. But there's things in life that you should learn that you should know. Yeah. Which you don't learn at school, and I think those are the important.
0: Yeah, i definitely second that. I, I mean, one of my later on, later on missions in life, I, I do a bit of boxing. I think I mentioned to you yeah. last time, hence the black eyes I got from the sparring. Oh, me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm meant to be getting out of the way of the punches and I seem to weather them. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, um, my first boxing club is called Bromley and Downham. It's actually Bromley and Downham Youth because it's a boxing club as well as a youth club. And the good thing about it is it brings the kids off the streets. Um, in Catford, Downham, Lewisham, it has been known over certain times that there has been drugs there's been gangs there's been knife crimes there and definitely what the boxing community has done is abolish a lot of it Mm -hmm. you know it's definitely brought down a lot of that in the area I know fully well that when you go to a boxing gym yeah it can be quite intimidating at the start but you know what you get so much respect like from other other people there and also now a lot more females are getting into it so there's a there's a common respect and I feel that they should really bring back boxing into schools there's a misconception it's violent it's not violent it's not violent if you understand the craft of it all yes there is punches thrown and people you know if it's not in in a controlled environment people can get hurt but it's the the mentality of it you know and also it serves you for for business because business you're not always attacking sometimes you need to defend you need to take your time be methodical remain calm and that's what boxing does so yeah I like what you said about there like there's certain things they should introduce to to, to school and personally for me Boxing played a big, big part on Definitely. that. I know you know David Hay and all them guys at yeah, like the yeah. Haymaker, so yeah. you, you're into I mean, your boxing bit, as well, I yeah. I love
1: my boxing. Do you know what I mean? So
0: do you go and watch boxing when uh, you can? When I can, when I
1: can. I would love to. Not well. I'm not too sure about sparring yet, but yeah. I'd love to train more because when I I have a PT called Della, and he used to do a lot of kind of like the training, kind of like the hit sessions from boxing. I found found that was really great in terms of like burning fat. And just fun as well. Of course. I'm, I'm a little bit too scared to spar at the moment. I've never done that before. Um, we, did, Me and Rick did like some sparring for a joke. Do you ever do shoot. like body
0: sparring? Because that's how they start it sometimes. No. Body sparring, so no face. And right. then and then you go into it. But I'm telling you right now, for me, I do it on a Sunday. And most of the time, I'm sparring people a lot better than me, like pros. Mm-hmm. I've got to tell you, it's my favourite thing. Because it's not just like... the. It's not like just explosive, but it's almost like weight training as well. Because when you're laying on each other and you're moving around, like you come out with this amazing so pump. So where do you do it Bromley? So I train at Boxing Booth. Um, so Adam Booth's gym. Okay. So he has Harlem Eubank now. He has Josh Kelly there. He has Mick Conlon, uh, Shannon Courtney. He's got some really, really good boxers down there. Um, and I spar a few people. So you've been sparring them? Not them, so I spar a guy called Dan Morley, right. uh, Laycon. They're also pros, but they're not as good or as high as them at the moment, but right. they're pros. But anyway, when I come out of there, even though I sometimes get black eyes and stuff and like bruised nose and everything else, I come out of there feeling amazing. And it's really? weird because you're slightly beaten up, but you feel the endorphins. <laughs> it's incredible. And I have always a really good week when I sparred the day before. Really? Ooh, really good. Because when you pull off a shot that you've been learning on the pads or on the bag... And you actually pull it off in real real life because bearing in mind, they're a moving target, you're a moving target. So to pull off a move during whilst you're moving around and you're trying to not get hit, it's the best feeling ever.
1: So for someone like me who's never done it before, how long do you think it will take for me to be in a position to actually spar someone properly?
0: I honestly think that if you're fairly fit and you've had a little bit of boxing experience, you just throw yourself in there. Because the thing is, people pull it off all the time. You know, they pull it, they go, I'll get a bit fitter or I'll get a bit better. No, just do it. Just get in there and do it. Because the only way really to learn uh, fighting or or boxing or sparring is by doing it. Um, As long as you've got someone at the other end who's never going to take the piss, like like a pro and say, I'm going to bash this person up... Then, then you're fine. If you go to a proper good gym where they're respectful, then they won't ever do that. Like mm-hmm. I get, I get it. I sometimes get. So I had Bradley Skeet on my podcast. He was British champion, and part of my podcast was we spar, and then I talk about the spar. Oh, and yeah. And look, listen. He, if he would have turned on the tap, he could have wiped, wiped the floor with me. Right. But obviously, he, he he didn't. So I think they're the type of spars that you need. You get in there, you learn. By going in with someone better than you, but someone's never going to take the mic, and you just learn, and then over time you just step things up. Just okay. like anything in life. Okay. So yeah, definitely do it, man.
1: You'll be my first.
0: Yeah, I'd love to. You yeah. have to go easy. I'm going to be honest. Okay. I would love to. I would love to. Be Am on I on tall that.
1: enough? Yeah, it just doesn't argue. matter. It doesn't matter. Okay.
0: Yeah, obviously we're not having a real fight, so we're not we're not trying to do it on on weight or height or anything like that, or even experience. We're just sparring. It's learning, basically. Okay. So yeah, I'll be honoured to do that, mate. All right, let's do that. Yeah, let's definitely. That. <laughs> I, I, I'll hold you to that. Um, thank you very much for spending time in here. Oh, I've got you. I've got one or two more things to ask you, yeah, and that's sure. it. So, where can people find you if you want want them to follow you? I'm on everything on social media,
1: so everything is Melvin O'Doom. Because cool. there's only one Melvin O'Doom until a guy a few years ago used my name, but didn't want to use my face oh, right. and refuses to not use my name. But yeah, everything is
0: Melvin O'Doom on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. Come there. Good stuff. Um, do you know, like you mentioned about like fame a little bit there. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned that you're not like famous, like, I don't know, Rihanna or Jay-Z or someone like that, because mm-hmm. they can't even walk down the street. But you know, like when people recognize you, how does that make you feel? Like, is it is it a buzz? Did you prefer life before you were slightly famous? Do you prefer life now? Like, what was what's the difference? Because from an outsider, a lot of people will go, Fucking oh, you know, it must be amazing." But what what's it? Was it really like? Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you because because i I'm, I'm cool with you. So for
1: me, I love it because it's a reminder that I'm doing my job properly. It's good. The only time I hate it is if it's a drunk person in a club and it's a nightmare and they're waffling in your ear. It's a nightmare.
0: You can't get them away.
1: It's like the hardest thing ever. But other than that, if someone comes up to me in the street or on public transport or on holiday on a plane wherever, it's the nicest thing ever because I have seen people get abuse from the public. Like first I've seen it before and for me it's that would that would destroy me like crush yeah. me if someone said you're rubbish. <laughs> Like to your face, it's it's a horrible feeling. So if someone goes, Melf, can I get a picture? Or that was funny what you said last week. That's like a blessing. That's a recognition. Yeah. You're doing your job properly. Yeah. That's like someone going, you're really good at your job. Yeah. Someone wants to say hello to you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Uh,
1: Yes. I always say thank you.
0: Well, look, listen, I'm, you know, relatively uh, young and small in my career doing podcasting. But every so often, when I've had someone hit me up and said, saying nice, you know what? It really makes me feel good because I think, you know, just like you said, you're giving value back and someone's giving you recognition for that, which is good. Right. Last thing. I've got a quote yeah and this quote this mantra this saying catchphrase if you want to call it that I developed when I got into into sales when I run my own sales company for the first time Mm -hmm. sales is about the transfer of enthusiasm and the only way that people can become enthusiastic towards their career their job or life is knowing their goals and their vision Mm -hmm. so I tried to get make something which embodies that and it goes something like this Mm -hmm. be happy but never content. I like that. So my question to you is, what is be happy, never content? If you were to give me your interpretation of that.
1: My interpretation for me personally is take care of my family and continue to do that because my family are, you know, my family and my friends. When I say family, I also include my friends in that. They make me happy. doesn't matter how much money you got, what clothing you got. If you ain't got the right people to share it with, it means like nothing. Of course. If you got the best jacket, but no one can see it, it's rubbish, bruv. Of course. Do you know what I mean? So take care of my family and continue to do that. Nice one. Because that's, they're, they're like the pinnacle for me.
0: Yeah all right love that interpretation thank you very much for your time right. this is going to be out on my podcast in about three weeks time i think wicked um it's also going to be on the woodbury house uh, youtube and and again I'm, I'm absolutely humbled and uh thankful that you came on board mate oh, thanks for having me man really really appreciate it nice one yeah cool